Mac Power Users, episode 347, New MacBooks. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? I'm broke, David. How are you? Good. I was watching it thinking... Today, Katie gets to spend money. <laughs> I do. I do. I, I have I have not pushed the button yet, uh, but we were just saying I very well might uh, during during this call. I've I've got it sitting in my cart, deciding on my accessories. All right. Well, I want to save the uh, the drama for later. Uh, but before we get started, this wait, is that's that's going to put me further behind in the queue now. Well, why don't you just push the button, Katie? I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. All right. Well, this is one of those rare uh, news-based shows for Mac Power users. Uh, Apple just did a new announcement today, the uh, Hello Again event, which was mainly about Macs, but a few other things on October 27th. Katie and I are sitting down at the mics about 30 minutes after Apple finishes, so there may be some additional news by the time you hear this. But uh, we both have uh, extensive notes and thoughts on the new MacBooks, along with some of the other announcements. So today's show is all about the new hardware. Um, uh, so I guess we should get started. I think we'll take it in chronological order. Uh, the first thing I wanted to mention was the first thing they focused on today was accessibility, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, they did that opening video uh, that was um, that was really well done. And the thing I loved about the video was the surprise ending because the, it starts out with this this woman who is a um, I believe a paraplegic, and she's she looked like a quadriplegic because she wasn't using her hands at That's all. That's true. I, you're right. And, and she uh, and she was uh, editing a document explaining how she gets by with technology. And then at the end of this wonderful video with all these different people using the, the uh, Apple products in interesting ways. And then you find out that the quadriplegic woman was actually the one editing the video. She actually created the video that we were watching, which I thought was pretty awesome. So I'm glad they did it. And they announced this new Apple.com slash accessibility site. Actually, I don't know that that is necessarily new, but they uh, have a new focus on it. Um, we have had uh, some some users with uh, disabilities on our show before who have done some pretty amazing things. One of them works for NASA. so That's right. Um, and we actually have some content uh, planned in the future around accessibility. And I'm very happy to see that Apple is focusing on that. I would note also that uh, yesterday, Microsoft uh, opened their uh, big event with an accessibility uh, announcements and videos. So I thought it's good to see that people in the technology business are are putting some focus on this. And then we also got a lot of little updates, you know, and, and that started me thinking, oh, boy, the, there's not a whole lot here. Yeah, it, it did feel like filler. Yeah, a little bit. But I, I want to take a few minutes on some of this filler stuff, because this is as good a time as any for us to mention it. Uh, the iOS 10.1 update is now public. Uh, I don't know. Were you running the beta of that, Katie? No, because I don't have the big plus phone. So it didn't really seem like there was a lot in there for me. Yeah, that's true. But if you do have the 7 plus uh, with this big update, they've added the portrait mode in. And I have been using it. Well, I actually got in the beta because I couldn't resist. And it's really good. I. I wouldn't say that it, it can replace your SLR camera if you've got, you know, some some low f-stop fancy pants lenses, you're going to be able to tell the difference. But for most of us, I think it's it's a nice feature. And it also got me thinking, Katie, what do you think of the iPhone 7 camera now that you've been using it a while? 
It's hard to say because I haven't used it for anything real fancy yet. I think I mentioned to you that one of the driving forces for me to get the new iPhone 7, because I was thinking about holding back a year, besides the fact that I just couldn't help myself, uh, is that we're going on a tulip cruise. I think I told you that, right? Yeah. In in April. And I need to use my new fancy iPhone 7 camera because my iPhone is now my only phone. Only camera, you mean? Oh, yes. My, it's my only phone and my only camera. Yes. Uh, to take pictures of the the pretty, pretty tulips in uh, Amsterdam and in that area. So I'm looking forward to to testing it out. I, I haven't noticed a ton of difference day to day, but we're talking about pictures that I'm taking around the house, pictures I'm taking of receipts, pictures I'm, t- you know, I, I had, I'm not really sure that I've taken that many pictures of actual people yet with the iPhone camera. What about you though? I, uh, I really like it. Um, this is no surprise. Every time they make a new iPhone, the camera gets better. The one of my favorite features about the new camera is the low light stuff. And this only works with the one time lens. And that works for both the seven and the seven plus. But they got the f-stop. Oh, I should I should know this. I believe they said they had it down to one point eight or one point six. I think maybe it was one point. I don't know. It's very low compared to I think it was up in the twos before. And the the way you'll notice this is if you're indoors taking pictures of your kids or, you know, just generally indoor photography gets a lot brighter now. And I, I saw a demonstrable proof of this. Recently, we had a little family event and it was indoors. And my sister-in-law was there with her 6S Plus and I was there with my 7 Plus. And we were taking pictures of the kids at the table. And when you looked at the pictures, there was a significant difference in the quality. Uh, another thing I noticed is uh, when I go to Disneyland and take pictures of the kids, I was getting a lot of lens flare with the lights on the 6 Plus in the 6S Plus, where the lens was really trying to get that, you know, that kind of night shot without a without a flash. OK, but it was resulting in some lens flare. I don't get any of that with the 7 Plus. So I, I'm seeing improvements with the one times lens. The zoom lens I use, yeah, I don't use it a great deal. I've always been the kind of guy that uses my legs for my zoom lens. But occasionally it just like you can't get the shot otherwise. And and I definitely enjoy that. And the portrait mode is nice. I One of the things I do like about portrait mode is it does take a picture without the portrait mode effect when it does it. So at the end of the day, even if you don't like the portrait effect, um, you'll be um, able to kind of recover a basic shot out of it. Uh, that being said, I'm very happy with the portrait effect. In the, the times that I've run into trouble, like I was taking a picture and of my daughter and her hair was kind of frizzy and you could see the hair would you know it was very sharp and then like the hair would blend into the background at some point and it was obviously a digital effect almost like someone went in photoshop and just started blurring the background and not noticing that there were individual strands of hair if that makes sense but then occasionally i get a shot with it that just looks gorgeous it looks better than some of the stuff i was getting with the olympus camera that i had before so uh, it's a mix. Uh, I'm, I'm continuing to like the iPhone as a camera lifestyle. You know, in fact, it's always with me and, and I have bought additional equipment. In fact, this month on the next live show, I bought another piece of gear that's not super expensive, but it really improves your digital photography. We'll talk about that then. But overall, uh, I think the 10.1 update is great. And if you've got a 7 Plus camera, please try the portrait mode. You, you'll be impressed with it. One other thing he mentioned on that is memories. 
Uh, I don't know about you, Kitty, but we have all in the Sparks family really kind of we like this memory feature. And I know that this is stuff that Google was already doing and some of the other vendors were doing. But it is weird when you get these massive libraries of photos, which we all do with cameras that can take pictures you know, at all hours of the day. Um, it is hard to kind of just browse and enjoy your pictures because you just open it into this massive database of photos. Uh, the memories feature selectively pulls pictures. And many times we have, you know, just opened it up or somebody opens it up and we start passing the phone or the iPad around the room and join, you know, pictures taken three years ago today. Re- recently, one of my youngest daughter had her birthday party and we uh, opened somebody opened a, the photos app and all of a sudden realized, oh, we've got all these great pictures of her birthday over the last several years. Um, that's a nice feature. I like it. Do you use that at all? I've had hit and hit miss success about it. You know, I think I I mentioned on the show that I tried to put together like the best of type memories photos and it it was really hit and miss what it would pull for me. So you got to remember, I'm not a huge photo person. You know, I don't have a family to take a bunch of photos of. So I I like iPhoto. I use, or sorry, I like the photos app. I use the photos app, but it's just, it's not a huge draw for me. Yeah. the, The best of, I think is really hit and miss because how do they know what's important to you? Uh, but the, uh, but the, you know, on this date, Photos, those are good. Those those uh, libraries are good. Or location-based ones. That's another thing that they can nail down. Okay, and then we got to the Apple TV. Oh, boy, Apple TV. Keep trying, guys. <laughs> All right, Katie, let's hear your thoughts. <laughs> I have mixed thoughts about this. You know, I love the Apple TV. I'm I'm a cord cutter, and I I really want the Apple TV to be the home of, of my you know, TV watching universe and they just keep swinging and it's still, you know, ox two for me. The, I'm not sure that the TV, I didn't really understand the TV app. I'm not sure that it really changes that much for me. It's just kind of another interface for me and another fancy way for me to buy things from Apple, to see what I've already bought from Apple um, and to continue things that I've already started playing. So I think if you, if, if you, eat the pudding and you subscribe to everything in Apple's ecosystem and you're watching everything on the Apple TV, then there might be some features there, but I just didn't see a whole lot of value in what was so, I mean, the TV app strikes me as something that, yeah, probably should have been there the whole time. I think it's a a better interface for the Apple TV. And some might even be able to argue that maybe that should be the default interface for the Apple TV. That should be kind of the first thing you see when you open it up. But, I, you know, it was just kind of like, why, guys? Why why is this taking so long? And, you know, we still haven't got all the pieces put together yet. Yeah, well, I know it's no secret that Apple was trying to make deals with the networks for years. Uh, they wanted to make a deal where um, Apple TV users could pay, you know, 25 bucks a month or something and get, you know, live access to all the major networks. It's really a cable competitor in a way, you know, so if you just have an internet connection to your house and you pay X dollars, you're going to get some basic set of channels that are going to be delivered through the Apple TV. And that's how they get on HDMI one ultimately, right? You know, that would allow people to get live sports and news and, you know, just people that want to have a TV Uh, that never worked out. I mean, we, I'd love to hear the stories behind it because I know they've tried desperately. I think at the end of the day, the cable companies have their hooks into the networks and everybody's afraid of Apple. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, it never happened. So I have this theory that this TV app was a back end to a service that we never saw that they've been working on this for a long time. Uh, and Tim Cook's, you know, 
mind years ago. He wanted to announce that app today and say, and if you give us $20 a month, you're going to get all of these channels, you know, and that part never came together. So they said, okay, well, let's ship the app anyway. And so what does it do? It gives you kind of this watch now ability and it indexes and looks at the content available on your TV. So if you have the Hulu app subscription, it's going to see content from Hulu app. If you have you know, the HBO, it's going to see content from HBO. Interestingly, Netflix did not appear anywhere in that presentation. And uh, I uh, I haven't got absolute confirmation as we record this, but I'm pretty sure Netflix is not part of this. So if you have a Netflix subscription, that stuff's not going to show up. So you already start having holes in this new, you know, come to one place solution. And there's so much that's not part of it. I mean, Netflix is not part of that, which seems odd because Netflix is clearly a partner in the Apple TV you know, Amazon doesn't look like it's coming to the Apple TV anytime soon. I know there have been hints at it. And, you know, if you're a cord cutter like I am, the Apple TV is still very inaccessible. There is a ton of exclusive behind um, cable TV logins that is only available for the Apple TV. And that really bothers me because, you know, they kept saying the future of TV is apps. The future of TV is apps. Well, apparently the future of TV is apps, but only if you already pay for all the content that the the apps already offers. I mean, Apple is in a prime position to to make these things happen. And, you know, I've talked about like, what what about, you know, take even the individual networks like Fox or ABC or or even CNN or things like that. You know, if, if I've got the app, there's a limited amount of content I can access. But why can't I just in-app purchase, you know, $1.99 or something a month? to be able to get access to that network's content. Why is that not the ultimate a la carte option? Because uh, I, I I don't necessarily blame Apple, but I do think that the way this is the, the way people make money on this now is it's all run through the cable companies. And that's why if you're going to put the app on your TV, the only way they're going to bless it because they have these licensing deals with the network is if you prove that you're already giving them money. And at some point, I mean, they are definitely experimenting now with pay a la carte. I mean, HBO is doing it, um, but I don't think they're ever going to get away where suddenly you go from paying $150 a month to get your TV content to 30 or 40, because even if they do go a la carte, they're going to charge more than that. You know, they're going to find a way to get their pound of flesh. To me, the only way this problem ever gets solved is if we can truly cut the cord. You know, you say you're a cord cutter, but you still need the internet coming into your house. Oh, and that that keeps going up because I'm, I've unbundled. That keeps going up every month. My internet, you know, used to be, you know, two years ago, my internet for the same speed used to be $12 cheaper than it is this month. Yeah, if anybody listening to this show is like an insider in the cable industry, we won't, we won't share anything. Just send me an email. I want to talk to you because my, my feeling is that the cable companies are going to hold on to that internet pipeline as tightly as possible. And until we get to a stage where suddenly Internet access becomes something like a public utility or suddenly, you know, maybe Wi-Fi gets so awesome that communities can say, OK, our city now has free Wi-Fi for everyone in the city. And there's, you know, it's done through antennas instead of copper wire, but it works really great. At some point, if you could unbundle the access to the Internet to your cable providers then suddenly you could have a direct relationship with the channels and I think everything could work out. But until that happens, my, my theory is that nothing's going to get fixed so long as I still have to write a check to the cable company every month. 
I think that's probably an America only thing or specifically, I'm sure a lot of our international listeners have different problems related to TV, but, but so Apple is trying to work inside a system that's I think fundamentally broken. And that's why none of us are ever entirely satisfied with what they're doing, but they did add some nice things today to, with this TV app. One thing I like is it looks like Siri's going to get a little smarter, which is great, which, you know, and by the way, Siri works pretty good on Apple TV. I use it to search all the time. It's way better than it used to be. Like even just like searching from within the YouTube app is really nice now. And I do like this thing they're doing where you can bounce your your content from your Apple TV to your iPad to your iPhone. Did you watch that part? I wasn't sure that I understood. I did see that, but I that's not like a la Google Chrome. They're still just doing that kind of through pushing and pulling with, with cloud services, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what the underlying technology is, but you they, they're going to have an Apple TV a TV app for your iPad and iPhone. So if you're watching something on the TV and then the kids come in and want to take over the TV, you can head to the other room, open your iPad and pick up where you left off. I think that's nice. Uh, interestingly, in an event about the Mac, they don't have this for the Mac. <laughs> I mean, why can't I bounce it to my iMac? That would be kind of nice. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure that this was completely an event about the Mac. And and, and John Syracuse was talking about this on ATP last week. I'm I'm a little upset about the hello again phrasing on, on the announcement. Let's save that for the end. Uh, the, the other thing they talked about with TV that, that we haven't mentioned yet is they had a little uh, show and tell from Twitter about including Twitter and sports on the TV. And that did not excite me at all. I mean, I'm not much of a... That, not Not only does that not excite me, it seems horrible if you want to put <laughs> yeah. Twitter on my TV. Well, it seemed like it, was a, it wasn't necessarily your feed, but instead a, like a, um, a content that they had selected. Random from. strangers feed in my, on my Twitter. That's even better. Yeah, so, and I, I'm not a big sports watcher. So, but, but when I do watch an event on television that kind of has an element of social media to it, Usually what I'll just is put Twitter on my iPad and watch the feeds that I want. So I don't know how big a deal this is going to be. And I had to wonder about that. that poor guy from Twitter. He's up there at this Apple announcement. And the news as we record this is Twitter is laying off like a bunch of their employees right now. And I'm like, boy, I mean, <laughs> that sucks. You know, you're at the Apple event and a bunch of your coworkers are getting sent packing. Didn't like that. He's probably like, let me get out of here. I want to take a moment and talk about our next sponsor, Fracture. Fracture is a photo decor company that's out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. They print your photos directly onto glass and then add a laser cut rigid backing. So they're ready to display right out of the box. You know, they even include the little wall anchor. So you can just drill right into the wall and boom, you're done. It's the finishing touches like that that make Fracture so wonderful. All you have to do is head over to their website at fracture.me slash podcast. That's actually the word podcast, not the name of this podcast and upload your digital photo, pick your size. And it's that simple. There is something magical that they do with the fracture process that makes both the color and the contrast of your photo really pop. And I've got a ton of these. They are sleek. They are frameless. It is a beautiful design that makes your photos stand out and they really match any decorating style. So you can take them from room to room or from home to office, and they're always going to work. You can bring a special memory to life. You can give it as a unique gift. You can decorate your home with all of the moments that tell your story. And businesses also love using Fracture prints to brighten up their workspaces or give us corporate gifts or awards. And if you've got a new business that you're trying to decorate an office, this is actually a fairly inexpensive way to personalize and decorate your office. You can either do it with your own prints or Fracture has a series of custom prints that you can buy. 
Fractures come with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you're going to make sure that you love your order. And each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida, from U.S.-sourced materials and their carbon-neutral factory. So here's what you do. For more info and a discount off your order, visit FractureMe.com slash podcast. And don't forget to mention Mac Power users in their one-question survey to let them know that we sent you. It helps support the show. That's FractureMe.com slash podcast. Thanks, Fracture, for your continued support of Mac Power users. Okay, so let's talk about the MacBook. Uh one thing I liked about today's event was the uh, the historical reference. There there seemed to be a lot of history in today's presentation, didn't you think? Yeah, there did. I remember those old those old uh, power books. I wanted one so badly. I I didn't have one, but I had a lot of those machines that they played through in their history. I think I might have sawed off a limb to get one. I mean, I, I wanted it so badly. I mean, and and everything Tim said was right. I mean, it. You look at it now and it looks kind of clunky, but. It was very innovative for a laptop at the time. And just the idea of having a Mac in your lap. Oh, man, that was awesome. I mean, the computer that started with a handle, right? So, of course, they would have one of the first innovative laptops. So that was really fun for me seeing that that old device. Um, and even when they announced the new MacBook Pro, they did a nice short little video where they kind of did a flyover on a bunch of the, the prior MacBook Pros. Uh, were you keeping score as they went through those videos? Katie, like of how many of those you owned or worked on? <laughs> I I did. Um, we had the uh, the original iBook. Yeah. Uh, we had a Bondi blue one. Sure. No, wait, no. Did we have, we might've had a tangerine one. I'm I'm having difficulty remembering one. I know we had a tangerine one at one point. We had the iBooks. We never had an iMac, but we had the iBooks. And then we got the upgrade to get a graphite one at one point. I really liked also how as they did the flyby, they had the wallpaper from the um from the appropriate operating system so it was kind of fun it was like a little trip to the past like i for, i had totally forgot about that that tiger wallpaper with those kind of wave lines across the screen mm-hmm. remember that mm-hmm. yeah, i mean it was it was kind of nice seeing all that stuff again so i, I like that um and then they announced the big new macbook pro and i guess that's going to be the, the focus of today's show there were a bunch of points made about it uh, but just kind of starting, why don't you just give me your initial impression before we get into any of the details? It's pretty. Okay. <laughs> well, you asked for initial impression. That was it. I was thinking about you throughout the whole show because I know that you've been pining away for a new MacBook for uh, years now, really. So so you, all your waiting has paid off. Um, I, I like the way that they use the very bright colors on the um on the touch bar as you, as you, in all the sample videos. So it really kind of made it pop. And, um, and then they got into it. So it it doesn't, I guess I'd start with saying it doesn't look a lot different than the existing MacBook pros. They're still using the same basic construction, aluminum with, um, you know, very clean lines. Uh, it got thinner. That was nice. I've come from a, a MacBook air and I was really worried about, would I want something that's a little bit bigger? And I don't think it's going to be a problem now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it isn't. Well, so the the stats on screen about the 13 inch, it was 17% thinner than the existing MacBook Pro. And they, they had them comparison. It's noticeable. 23% less volume. Uh, it's three pounds where the old one used to be a um, three and a half pounds. So they lost a half pound, went on a diet. Um, no lighted Apple logo. Yeah, I think this was just, you know, this is similar to the MacBook. I think they just don't have room for the lighted Apple logo. Yeah, that screen is super thin. Um, what 
how much does the uh, does the MacBook Air 13 inch weigh? I don't know. I guess we'll look it up and, and let you know. I, I think it's like two and a half pounds in that realm. So it's a half pound heavier, you know, um, but it really is in terms of size They you know, they're just pushing all these envelopes. I mean, the MacBook Air started as the ultra thin, you know, the ultra light for them and the pro device is getting closer, coming down to meet it. I'm sorry, 2.96 pounds. So yeah, so about three pounds. So they've got they've got it they've got it closer to the MacBook Air weight and size. Uh, remove the uh, lighted Apple logo and and something they didn't spend much time on, but I thought was actually going to be quite useful is this bigger trackpad. Someone in my Twitter feed uh, mentioned, "Do you think that wider trackpad might hint at future um, Apple Pencil compatibility?" I don't know if it's that as much as just kind of bringing it in parody with the magic trackpad. I mean, I, I sit at this iMac many hours a day and I have a magic trackpad and I love it. And the magic trackpad, if you look at it on the Apple website is about the same size and format as the new trackpad in the MacBook pro it's, it's wider than we've ever seen before. And I use gestures all the time with it and it's super useful with that bigger size. And it could just be more so, so they can use the same parts and the same, you know, streamline that way. I, I tell you, though, my trackpad on my 13-inch MacBook Air is is a good bit smaller. And I never really find myself thinking, gosh, I wish I had a bigger trackpad. But I, I think if you'll find that you'll like it, though, when you get one. Yeah. The way that I use my MacBook Pro most of the time, or I'm sorry, the way that I use my MacBook Air currently most of the time, when it's at my desk... It is uh, open, not in clamshell mode, but it, it is open and on a riser. So I, I really, I, I'm a little nervous about it because I don't use the keyboard, which means I won't have an opportunity to really use the touch bar when I'm sitting using it at my desk. Um, and I don't use the trackpad. Now, I certainly use those things when I'm using my laptop as a laptop. But for the, a lot of the work that I do when it's sitting at my desk, you know, those things are up and elevated and off to the side and, and not usable. So two of the big features of this this MacBook Pro um, are things that I'm not going to be able to use regularly. Yeah, but that would be true for any feature they put on keyboard or near the keyboard for the way you use it. Anybody in clamshell is going to lose that feature. Yeah. Uh, but but on the, the trackpad, I, I do think even though you may not miss having a larger trackpad once you have a larger trackpad it'll spoil you once you start having it you'll be better how much do you use like the gestures that come in ios i'm sorry in mac os not often i mean um back and forth and and not often i see i use them all the time and i i like i use them to hide windows show windows to switch between spaces i I can't even like as, as i sit here i'm not sure i can tell you what the gestures are for the things I do. It's almost like getting really good at a song on the piano and you don't know what notes you're hitting. You just sit down and it comes out, you know, <laughs> but yeah, but I've got kind of that degree of, of, of familiarity with the trackpad and, and I hope that MacBook pro users try this stuff out because I think you're going to really like it. So I was glad that the trackpad got bigger. I think that makes sense. Um, the other thing that before we get to the big sexy feature of the touch bar, the other thing they talked about was the keyboard. And I thought it was fascinating the way that Phil introduced the keyboard. He's like, oh, this is the new butterfly switches and everything that we love about the, you know, the MacBook. I think is it C- CGP Gray calls it the MacBook Adorable. I'm not sure who started that, but I, I like it. So the MacBook Adorable keys, but it's the second generation. And it's I think somebody said 
they've already confirmed that they have more throw in the key. So there, it has the same type of switch, but I think it's probably a higher throw and probably a better keyboard generally than the, the MacBook Adorable has. Now, what do you think about the um, MacBook's keyboard? Did it take you a lot of getting used to? I, I, I know that you um, used that for a long time as your, your portable computer. What did you think about that keyboard or are you not really keyboard fidgeting? I, I've come to the conclusion, and maybe it's just over the years, because I used to get the big clickety-clack keyboards. If you listen to really old episodes of Mac Power Users, you can even hear it in the background on occasion. And I was finding those were giving me more kind of RSI stress than just kind of the low-travel keyboards on the laptop. So I started using those on my my my, my, my iMac as well. So uh, when I got the MacBook keyboard, everybody told me I'd hate it. Uh, Jason Snell, a good friend of mine, really doesn't like it. And I didn't really find any problem with it. It didn't, I was able to type just as fast as I am able to type on a normal keyboard and it feels a little differently, but a few minutes after I am typing on it, I don't think about it anymore. And I, I just honestly, I never ran a speed test or anything, but uh, it was just never an issue for me. Now, that being said, I know there's people listening that tried it and hated it. And I, I respect that. I understand. You don't have to write me an email, <laughs> but uh, I think I'm just not that fidgety about it. And I suspect I, I'm eager to go in a store and play with the keyboard on this new MacBook Pro to see how it's different. But my guess is it's going to have more throw. I mean, there's some things about those butterfly hinges that are really nice. And I noted that when I was using the MacBook, like if you don't hit it directly center, it still clicks just fine and it helps your speed. I expect you're going to get all those benefits with this new one in the MacBook Pro. And probably it's going to feel a little more movement and probably a little better for people that didn't like that feel on the original MacBook keyboard. But we'll find out. I mean, that that is a, a potential stumbling block. If they blew it with a keyboard, you know, if it's just like the one in the MacBook Adorable, there's going to be a bunch of people that don't want this computer. Yeah, I think there will be. Uh, if it is, but, uh, you know, they made very clear that it was the second generation keyboard. Yeah, and I, I expect it'll be just fine. But the uh, I guess we'll find out. All right, you want to get into the the new thing, the big new thing? Yeah, that is the touch bar. Now, this is something that had been rumored for a long time. and But we, we'd never really seen it until like a day or two ago when it showed up in the uh, ten ten point one. <laughs> Apple put it in its own help files. <laughs> yeah. Oops. And could you imagine that? So, so for people listening that didn't know it, we got a Sierra update a couple of days before this event. And if you look in the the help files, there's how to do t uh, pay uh, Apple ID, and there's actually images of the new computer that hadn't been announced yet. I mean that I that I could just imagine Steve Jobs with like a flamethrower went you know a couple of years ago if this got out i i don't even it's a, i don't know i just laughed when it happened it's, it's not the same apple some days you know yeah so i don't know did did this meet expectations i i really wasn't i was kind of 50 50 on whether it would have touch id and i was pleasantly surprised to see that it did so i'm i'm excited about the touch id because i think that is a feature that i will use quite a bit I was I was really hit or miss on whether the um, unlock with the Apple Watch feature would work on my Apple Watch. Um, it seems to have gotten better um, with the 10.1 update, but it it still seems to be a little bit hit and miss. So um, I I I'm happy to see that that Touch ID is there because I think for a lot of people the Touch the unlock with the Apple Watch seemed like a an intermediate solution and it's still not particularly fast. I I, I can see myself turning that off 
completely and just um, touch to unlock with with Touch ID on the on the computer. Yeah, on my iMac, the unlock with the Apple Watch is faster than typing in my password, but it's not fast. It's not immediate. So there's a moment when I sit there looking at my screen, a second or two, waiting for everything to happen. Right. And, and that one second or two is it. It does make you crazy as a nerd, but I still think it's faster. I'll leave it turned on. The uh, but just a, a little bit of the basics about this touch bar. So what they've done is you've got the function key. Uh, strip across the top. I'm going to assume not everybody watched the whole event, but the uh, so you, forever we've had these function keys across the top of our keyboards, and it is interesting over the years how um, Apple you know first started adding specific functions like turning it to brightness and volume displays and iTunes controls, and for a long time I remember when those were the alternatives. You had to hold the function key down to get it to stop iTunes, you know, or to get it to raise the volume, and and otherwise it was F1 through F12. But nobody used those keys. I don't. I can't remember the last time I used those keys, except like a occasional things like custom map. Uh, at some point in the last ten years, Apple th- uh, switched the default. So now they default to brightness and iTunes controls, and the function keys are there. But you don't have to have to hold down the function key to get to them. And they said, well, what if we allowed it? You know, just took that bar off and put a screen at the top, and then we could do whatever we want. And that's what they did. It's a um, the screen itself is retina, so it's very sharp. It's multi-touch. I believe it's OLED. I don't think they said, but everybody that I know has been kind of in on this says that was OLED screen. And it accepts up to 10 inputs at a time. So you can be touching it with multiple fingers at once. And so that's the idea. It's, a, it's basically a platform. It's a second screen for your Mac. I mean, we have the screen you know, that you've always looked at. Then there's a second screen below. It's addressable by the app developers and the operating system. So if you're in uh, Apple Mail, uh, you can push a button that'll appear there. It'll be the you know new message button. You press that and it opens a new message. Um, or you can be in Apple fo- Photos and you can uh, straighten out an image by running your finger across, across the screen. So it's very much like some of the features you get with the touchscreen in iOS, but added to a Mac. And that's kind of the overview of what it is. And I think to start with, I think this is an excellent feature for people that aren't super Mac power users and get lost sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of people using Macs that like they want to send a message and they forget how, or they want to, they want to straighten their image and they're not sure exactly how to do it. If you've got something right across the top of your keyboard screen saying, you know, press this button to do this. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those people discover a bunch of new features that they've never used before or use them more often because they can find them easier. So for a mid-level user, I think this is a a big improvement. I really liked the fact that they called it the control strip. Uh, The control strip was a very beloved little icon at the bottom of of Mac OS 9 um, where you could customize and add things like volume and screen resolution and display. And much like that old control strip in OS 9, you can customize the um, the magic tool. It's, it's not called the magic toolbar. I have to get that out of my head. Um, you can you can customize the toolbar here on the Mac. And I like that because we're all going to have different uses and different preferences. And it, it, it customizing this is a lot like the way that you would customize any toolbar in the OS or the way that you would customize something in Safari. Um, you just tap it to start customizing it and you can just drag icons in and out. 
And I think that makes it very, very useful. So some people may want volume in there. Some people may not. Some people um, may always want brightness. Um, some people may want to see Launchpad. I personally never want to see Launchpad. So that's not going to be, you know, one of the things that I customized to have available and showed. So I think there's there's definitely um, a good use for it. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be popular. And so that I think the entry level is the kind of the medium user who wants to get a little better using some additional features. But I think there's another level to it as well. And originally, I mean, I was somewhat sold when they first demonstrated it. And then they did three or two demonstrations with uh, third-party vendors. One was with Final Cut. I guess it's not a third party, but it felt like. And Photoshop. And they were showing these people using very advanced features in these applications and accessing these tools by going up to the touch bar. And I don't know if you've seen this, Katie, but remember at the old days of Macworld, there used to be these vendors that would sell keyboards that were customized for like Final Cut and Photoshop. And you people would actually buy a keyboard where rather than having a J on the key, it would have, you know, you know, advanced frame or some advanced feature that is accessible through a keyboard function in Final Cut. So uh, power users would have these special keyboards they'd use. This is Apple's way of kind of putting that on for everybody and allowing you to switch dynamically. So if you're in your your Twitter app, you'll get one set of buttons. And if you're in your word processing app, you'll get an entirely different set of buttons. And uh, so then I got thinking, well, this could actually be a power user thing too, uh, as you got faster with it. I was watching the Final Cut stuff and I was thinking, wow, if my screencasting software would adopt this, there is a bunch of stuff I'd do that I could, I could speed up doing on the... Um, on the touch bar. But, you know, so I, I think it's a good idea and, and largely I think they implemented it pretty well. I think the bright screen makes sense. Um, it took them a while. I had a big question in my mind, but it, it, towards the end of the presentation portion of this uh, touch bar, they explained, yes, there's a third party API. So third party developers can get in there and some of our favorite developers I'm sure will. Well, and we've already seen like Microsoft is going to start doing this. Yeah, one of our listeners tweeted, everybody said something about Microsoft. He says, great, now Microsoft can crash my computer from the touch bar. <laughs> um, but the uh, I uh, I think it'll be good. And I I think it's moving the ball forward in an increasingly world, you know, where, in an increasing world where touch ID or, or touch computing matters, finding ways to logically bring this over to the Mac makes sense. And if your fingers are already on the keyboard, putting touch right next to your fingers makes sense to me. So uh, I, I think the proof will be in the pudding. And I'm really curious to see what third-party app developers do with this stuff. Like in, in a year, will this be a thing where we just have support from Apple apps or will it be, will it be uh, far and uh, wide? One of the problems I think they're going to have is the only people that can take advantage of this are the people who buy the fancy new MacBook Pros. And as a result, software developers aren't going to put this at the top of their list. I mean, if you're buying a new MacBook Air, you don't get it. In fact, if you buy some of the new MacBook Pros, they don't support it. Uh, if you buy an iMac, you don't have support for it. So for now. Yeah, I know. I know. Until it gets further down the road, I think it's going to be a little slow to adopt. As an iMac user, I definitely had some jealousy as I was watching. I'm like, wow, I'd like some of that stuff. Um, maybe at some point they'll make an Apple keyboard that has um, the 
the touch ID, oh, sorry, what do you call it? I forgot a touch bar built into it, but I can only imagine how much that would cost, you know? <laughs> I well, I, st- I think they'll still keep one that doesn't, but I, I see that I can see them having, and you know what, that might be what, what prompts me to move to the, to the Apple keyboard. We were just talking about keyboards last episode with, with Casey. Uh, so, so it's an interesting, um, new paradigm. I, I don't think it's been done before. Maybe it has, and I haven't seen it. I think maybe some of the gaming keyboards were doing some stuff like this, but Apple's going to implement it really well. They're so good at retina hardware and multi-touch that I just don't think anybody's going to be close. And I am really looking forward to playing with it. I did see a tipster in my Twitter feed mention that the, uh, the touchpad, oh gosh, why can't touch bar was uh, running a variant of iOS. That doesn't surprise me, given what it does. Yeah, I mean, because it's the same type of functions, you know, touch, interaction, being able to move quickly. I It, it looked really smooth, but, you know, I'm sure they were putting it in ideal circumstances for the presentation. But, you know, this is one of those cases where I don't think they're blowing smoke. I think that if you get this, you're going to find it, it quite useful. That's not all, though. Uh, we also heard about new displays. Yeah, um, this is one of the areas that I am both excited and a little worried about with with my new MacBook Pro. You know, David, I have never had a Retina display on a computer before. Why? Why are you worried about that? Because everybody says it's going to ruin me. It's time to get ruined, Katie. It's time. Clearly, everybody says that this was the one to wait for. Uh, this is the the best display Apple has ever done. Although uh, the one on your five K iMac is quite good, I hear too. Yeah, I I think they they were kind of waffling that because the first time they said it's our best display ever, and then later they, when they'd had the Johnny Ive video, he says the best display we've ever put in a laptop. You know, I'm like, well, that's a little different. You know, uh, either way, it's going to be great. Sixty seven percent brighter, sixty seven percent higher contrast, twenty five percent less power. That's the stuff I wrote down. So you know, it's it's brighter. It's great, and uh, that sharp, crisp test text you are going to love katie and that's time i mean you shouldn't be i don't think anybody should buy a device that's not retina at this point no i agree but now that also prompts a second purchase so the problem with the retina display on the macbook pro means that it now prompts the purchase of a second retina display on the desktop yes that was so weird right everybody expected a new apple cinema display with retina Okay, so let me let me tell you some confusion that I had about this. And Apple, we were hoping that they would give a new cinema display. It never came, but they've kind of said, here's this thing we're working on with LG in partnership. And they kind of mentioned it. They're like, yeah, it has USB-C ports and you can power it. You know, a lot of the features that the current cinema displays have, it's got pass-through power, it's got USB, it's got speakers. All right, sounds great. Did not mention a price, did not mention shipping, did not mention any of that information. Well, but just the very fact that they were up there talking about somebody else's product. I, I think that means that Apple's out of the display business. Do you? See, that's what I... I do. Does it mean that or does it mean that they, they're they behind? I, I think it means they're out of the display business for at least the foreseeable future. I think if Apple was working on their own cinema display and it was coming like in the spring, I, I they wouldn't mention this. They wouldn't cannibalize their own cinema display sales by by so prominently featuring this. And they said that we worked with LG. That was the part that really stood out. And the fact that they mentioned this in a in a keynote, it wasn't a high, highly featured, but the fact that it got mentioned in a keynote, 
you know, by Tim Cook and and featured on a prominently on a slide and said, oh, and you can even get two of them and all those things. Apple would not do that if they had a display in the pipeline anytime in the near future. Yeah, I think you may be right. So um, so let's just jump to that section for a second. Um, you researched this after the keynote. What did you find out? So I had some concerns. So, you know, I went online and immediately spec'd out my machine. And, you know, when you, after you put the machine in your cart, Apple offers you lots of accessories. In this particular case, lots of dongles, <laughs> any dongle that you might need, uh, many dongles, Apple Care, those types of things. And, and right there in the accessory list was a, um, a 4K LG monitor. And I'm looking at it and it's, it's $800 and it's got USB-C and I'm looking at it and it's only 21 inches and it doesn't look particularly impressive. Yeah, the case design, it looks kind of kind of crappy compared to the Apple stuff, you know. Well, but I'm, I'm looking at it and th- this is not the display. Uh, there is a different 5K display that's available on Apple's website that is not currently being sold. You can't even pre-order it. I couldn't even add it to my card. So the Apple 5K display um, is $1,300. It's $1,299. Or, I'm sorry, the, the Apple conspired with LG 5K display um, is $1,299. Cannot even be pre-ordered at this point. It just says coming in December. What's the size of it? Though? How, how many inches is it? Um, it is, I believe it's 27 inches. Okay. That's the one you want, though. Yeah, that's the one I want. I, I was not going to, because I'm like, seriously, I'm, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to go back to a 21-inch monitor. Who's who's going to do that? Yeah, so this is the LG Ultrafine 5K display. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, it is a 27-inch monitor. Uh, the dimensions are um, 5120 by 2880. And so that's, um, yeah, that's that's more in line with what I want. It has a single Thunderbolt 3 cable that's included that will provide up to 85 watts of power, which to me signals that that can, um, I think the MacBook Pro is only 60-something watts of power, so it can go up even higher. Maybe there's other things in the future. Um, with Thunderbolt 3 USB-C ports and three downstream USB-C ports um, to offer additional connectivity options. It also has stereo speakers. So if you plug it into the uh, the 5K display, the MacBook Pro, will it get power out of the display? Yes. The the single cable from from the display to your AC outlet will also then then there's a cable that goes to your MacBook Pro and that will also provide power. That's nice. But but you start looking at that. I mean, the cost and we're going to get to cost later, but just when you start thinking about the cost of one of those displays plus the cost of a MacBook Pro, it's getting pretty pretty expensive. Now, this does not appear to have any is it USB-A? Is that the standard what I would consider a standard USB port? Yeah, the boxy one. Yeah, the old one. It has one Thunderbolt input, one USB-C Thunderbolt import input and three USB-C outputs. So it's not giving you any traditional USB cables or USB. You're going to still have to get adapters or dongles for that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. I was recently speaking at a conference and I met a Mac Power Users listener. And he was telling me the story how a few months earlier he had a catastrophic failure of passwords. He was using the same password at multiple websites and it got hacked at one of them and then the bad guys used it to get into other places. I scolded him a little bit. You shouldn't have the same passwords for iTunes, Google, and PayPal. You're just asking for trouble. 
That whole experience reminded me that there are still listeners of our show who have not got on the bandwagon with 1Password. If that's you, stop everything right now and get yourself set up with 1Password. Your online security, your privacy, and frankly, your money are too important not to have an outstanding password system in place, and 1Password provides that to you. 1Password keeps your digital life secure and always available, safe behind the 1Password only you know. They've got applications for the iPhone, iPad, Mac, Android, and even Windows. Once you set up your 1Password account, it helps you create strong passwords that you can use uniquely at different websites. In the last year, they've unrolled this family plan that I just love. My whole family's on it now, and my kids are using 1Password, which I didn't think was possible a year ago. I'm definitely a believer in this new subscription plan. With it, you get 1Password on the go, so you can sign into your account and use it from your web browser. The applications are always up to date because you always get the latest versions. And you get to use the secure document storage where you can safely store important documents and access them everywhere you go. The bad guys are getting smarter and smarter, and you need a team of security experts on your side. And that's the role that 1Password fills in my life. You should put 1Password on the team as the security expert for you as well. To do so, go to onepasswordcom MPU, and MPU is in all caps. If you do that, you get 20% off any of the subscription plans, including the teams and family plans. Don't be like that listener I met and lose a bunch of money and privacy. Get on it today and sign up for a 1Password account. Thank you, 1Password, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. All right, I want to get back later to, to what you think you're going to get and why, but let's finish up kind of talking about this new MacBook Pro. Uh, there was a whole section in the discussion about the engineering. You know, that's kind of you know what's under the hood with this thing. Um, some interesting bits here. Uh, one that I thought was interesting is the, the difference in graphics chips. They've got the, for the 13-inch, you get the Iris graphics. That's an Intel chip, which is okay. I mean, it's traditionally been okay, not super. And with the 15-inch, you get the Polaris uh, AMD chip, which has always been better. Um, so if you're looking for graphics-heavy performance, it sounds like they're pushing you towards the 15-inch. Well, they've always done that. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, and, and frankly, if you're not looking for super graphics performance, the Intel chip is fine. I mean, we've all, my old 15-inch had the Intel chip. I didn't buy, I didn't pay extra because you used to have to pay extra for that. And I didn't, and I was fine. Uh, the faster SSD, um, now 3.1 gigabytes per second. So every time they get a new one, they they, they bump up the speed. One of the, the stats that stood out to me is uh, up to two terabyte storage in a laptop. So, uh, you know, no fusion drive here. You know? So SSD storage is getting bigger. For, for, for a small fee. I, I want to know how much that cost. Did you did you check it when you were specking prices just out of curiosity? The 13 inch, would which is the only one I was interested in, would only go up to a terabyte. Okay. Yeah. So I think the two terabytes is only in the 15 inch. Yeah. I will look the next time. Um, next time you, you're doing extended dialogue here <laughs> and I'll tell, I'll report back. But two terabytes on laptop, that's impressive if that's what you need, but be ready to pay through the nose for it. Um, one of the things I did like about it, I did look at the specs of the uh, devices and all the entry level new MacBook Pros start with 256 gigabyte SSDs. They're done with 128, which I think is is right. I thought 128 was too, too, uh, too low. And they also have a bunch of other little, you know, updates, better features, better ventilation, you know, all that stuff gets better every time they do a, a new design. Um, the, the case design has four USB ports, but as we've implied already, 
They're not your traditional USB ports. They're USB-C ports. I have thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts? I think it's a little hostile. I... I um I like why do we need four USB-C ports? I understand that that is where Apple has clearly told us that that things are going. But I'm not sure that we have seen the market go that way. I think having two USB I think having the USB-C replace Thunderbolt fine, no problem. I have no issues with that. But if we have space for additional ports, did you notice there's a headphone port by the way? If we have space for additional ports, why would you not at least give me one or two standard USB ports? And I know that's very anti-Apple. I know Apple says because we're the future, we're forward-looking, we don't want to think about that. But I think it's a little user-hostile because every single thing I have that is sitting on my desk right now runs with that standard USB-A port. And that means I'm going to have to get some kind of hub and I'm always going to have to travel with some kind of dongle because even just a traditional hard drive that you would use for backing up with Time Machine or a portable drive or a flash drive, a flash drive that someone hands you at a conference or that you're going to use to sneaker net documents back and forth with, that's going to require you to now carry a dongle with you um, and have it available not only at your desk, but when you're traveling. Yeah, I I think there's a couple possible reasons why they did it that way. And depending on what the reason is, I would agree with you or disagree. If the reason it's 17 inch or 17% thinner is because they were able to get rid of the, you know, the, the gear needed for that bigger port, because the USB-C is quite a bit smaller, um, then I think I'd probably be okay with why they did it. I, I think that making the computer smaller in volume and lighter, uh, even if it means I have to have dongles for a year or two, because eventually everything's going to be USB-C anyway. You're already seeing that. It's on the PC side, too. I mean, this is not an Apple proprietary port. It's an open standard. And, you know, having used a, a MacBook Adorable for a year, there's already a ton of products on the market. You're going to find that it's not going to be hard to get whatever you need. Not the iPhone. Well, I mean, they're gonna, there's going to be a cable, I'm sure. Uh, but the uh, so I think it, you're going to have this temporary problem as we make this transition and they had to choose between making the new one thinner and lighter or having support for this port that they want to get rid of anyway. I I, th- I think they made the right decision if they had room for it and just didn't put it in, in there just to be cute or, you know, just to be Apple. Then I think that was a mistake. I think there should be at least one or two of those, too. I think it probably has more to do with the I.O. inside. I mean, they were maybe allow- able to fit multiple. I mean, we'll know as soon as I fix it, cracks one of these open. But I, I, I don't know that it had to do so much with the thickness um, as it did with probably the internals and having having to add yet another component for that. That's possible as well. The uh, the headphone jack you mentioned, I'm really glad they kept that. I, I you know somebody was a friend of mine who's kind of in a no said, well they they may not have a headphone jack. I'm like, I understand you took it out of the phone, but taking it out of the Mac or the iPad would just be dumb. <laughs> I mean, there's enough room in there for a headphone jack. Well, and and I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a minute. On on one hand, I agree, um, but on the other hand. Now I've got to keep two different sets of headphones around. I mean, if if we're truly going to lightning headphones, now I've got to keep a second pair of headphones or take a second pair of headphones or take a pair of headphones with an adapter with me when I travel. Because if I'm going to plug in, if I'm going to be on the plane and watching something on my iPad, um, well, I guess you're right. The lightning, the lightning headphones always do work on the iPad. But if I'm going to be watching something on my Mac or I want to use headphones on my Mac, I, I, the lightning headphones do not work on there now. It's funny because I have my corded headphones and now that I've got the phone that doesn't have a, a headphone jack, 
it's been kind of nice because I had two or three pairs and I put them in all of my bags that I use whenever I go out to work. And so I always have a pair of headphones on me for my iPad if I want to listen through a wired you know, connection. And have you now gone out and bought 999 dongles for all those? No, no, because they, I, I'm talking about when I'm with my iPad. Okay. So you don't use headphones on your Mac or your iPhone? Uh, no, I have a, I've always had this Bluetooth set of Jaybirds I'm going to use. And, and I'm really, uh, I, I spent a little time, I'm going to go off on a little tangent. Now nah, let's not, I'll do it later, but I want to talk about AirPods. Don't let me forget. Oh, by the way, um, upgrading to two terabytes, you were asking about that? Yeah. You have to, number one, have. Wait, let me, let me guess. $800. No. You have to, you have to not only be buying the high end 15 inch MacBook Air, it's not an option on the middle or the lower end. New MacBook Pro. New MacBook Pro, yes. Um, and then it adds $1,200. Wow. It's, uh, it comes, it comes with 512 standard. You can add a terabyte for 400 or add two terabytes for 1200. That seems like a big jump to go to, you know, an additional 500 to get yourself to a terabyte is $400. And then to double that again is $1,200. Wow. Yeah, so you're getting to like four grand for a laptop at that point. Yeah, I'm, mm, yeah. Wow. Okay, well, <laughs> it's good that it's an option. Well, there's some people out there that if you're in a video production or something, you would gladly pay that, but it does seem like a lot of money. Well, especially because you're not going to be able to find a hard drive to plug into it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's that kind of sums up the uh, the new MacBook Pro. But then they kind of had this other weird twist where they said, well, we also still have the MacBook Air, although they dropped the 11 inch MacBook Air. So if you want one of those, you better go get it pretty soon. And uh, they're keeping the 13 inch MacBook Air and it doesn't look like they made any changes to it. And they said, but we're going to keep this, you know, available. But we just wanted to let you know. We think that the MacBook Pro is an interesting alternative for you. And they're making a MacBook Pro kind of a lower end one. It's still got all the features we talked about except for the touch bar. No, not true. Not true. Okay. So what's missing? It, it is missing two USB-C ports. It only has, I'm sorry, two Thunderbolt 3 ports. It only has, it only has two of those instead of four that the next bump up does. And it's missing the touch bar. And so... I I do not like this product, David. I uh, so what it is is the the low end MacBook Pro, the low end 13 inch MacBook Pro, um, starts at a two gigahertz Core i5. When you get to the middle range version, which is the new the new new one with the Touch Bar, it it starts at a 2.9 i5. Um, it it they both have eight gigs of memory. They both start at 256 um, for the hard drive, which is good. Uh, they both have uh, a similar graphics card. The, the low-end one has a Intel Iris Graphics 540. The mid-range one has an Intel Graphics 550. So a little, little step down, but not significant. Um, the the low-end one, big difference, does not have the touch bar, does not have Touch ID, only has two Thunderbolt 3 ports, does not have anything else, does not have any other um, I.O. ports. So I'm really upset that that did not maintain some backwards compatibility and it's only $300 less expensive. Yeah. So let's just take a minute. We we had a bunch of Twitter questions from listeners saying, I'm really confused. Which one do I buy? MacBook Air 13 inch, the 12 inch MacBook Adorable or the low end um, MacBook Pro. So these are people who are looking on, you know, relative budget. They don't want to spend four grand on their on their laptop, but they 
They've got three devices in the general ballpark with each other, and they're not sure which one to get. I would not get the low-end MacBook Pro. I, I just think it's not enough price difference, and I think there are too many compromises. And and part of that is, you know, my mom is in the in the market for a laptop as well. She has a she has a seventeen inch power. I'm sorry, seventeen inch MacBook Pro. The battleship. Yeah, that gives you an idea of how long ago this machine was updated. But it's it's not Retina. She's always liked it because it has a large screen, but she doesn't like it because it's not particularly portable. And we've looked at the MacBook Adorable for her, and she likes the crispness of the screen. She just doesn't, it's just a hair too small for her. So, you know, we are looking at um, 13 inch, you know, well, if if we could just get a 13 inch air for her that had retina, that would be perfect. And so is that this computer? Well, at first glance, maybe, but on the other hand, it's a lot more, it's more expensive than an air. It's, it's, she doesn't need the power difference. I mean, an air would be fine for her. And now she's going to have to go and deal with all the dongles because it doesn't have the IO to match all the stuff that she has. Yeah. One of the overwhelming tweets we got from many people was, Hey, when are we going to get the MacBook air with retina? And the answer is never. I mean, this is a product that is going away. The MacBook air was brought in as the ultralight. It's no longer the ultralight. Now the MacBook adorable is. And uh, the the MacBook Air, I think, continues to exist because it is a Mac you can buy for under $1,000. And that's the only reason it still exists. And by making this somewhat, you know, borked um, uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro, I think they call it the classic. No, it's just it's just called MacBook Pro. Oh, that's the old Mac. Okay, so they've got the, yeah. So making that, they're trying to drive the price down, but it's still $500 more than the MacBook Air. So in order to go from, you know, and improve, it is better than the MacBook Air, I think. I mean, I think the reason you're hang up with it is price, really. I mean, if you were looking at, if someone put a table on a table, a 13 inch, brand new 13 inch MacBook Air and a brand new MacBook Pro without the uh, touch ID and touch bar, say, which one do you want? They're both the same. You take the, you take the 13 inch MacBook Pro. Well, and it depends, it depends on what your needs are. Well, I mean, if I'm saying price isn't an, an issue, the retina screen is enough to say, no matter what your needs are, you're going to like it better because the retina screen is, is really worth uh, extra money. Um, but the question is how much extra money? In this case, it's $500 more. It's not It's not close, really, in terms of price. The entry-level MacBook Air to that entry-level MacBook Pro is a $500 difference. So, you know, and this is a product that starts, you know, it's either 1000 or 1500 So it's, it's quite a bit more money. Uh, but if you really want the retina screen, that's something to look at. Now, Apple did keep around. Remember how they kept around that old MacBook for years? They they finally got rid of it, but they did keep around one of the previous generation MacBook Pros. Um, and so you can still buy that. And they've dropped that price down to $12.99. Yeah, and that is a retina screen. So you could get... That may be what she ends up doing. So you could go there. Although, see, for your mother, and I don't know. I mean, I it's easy to spend other people's money. But I've met your mom. And she is an interest. She is interested in being a geek, but she doesn't make a podcast and doesn't study the stuff like a lot of our listeners do. Right? I could see your mother really enjoying the touch bar. I could see that being really helpful for her and allowing her to get more out of her computer. And it may be worth the extra money to just go to that 
computer for her because of, you know, how she would use it. But the, so the, so the answer to all the questions we had, so everybody's asking, do I get the 12 inch or the 13 inch or do I get the air or the MacBook pro? It really depends on what you're doing with it. Um, I would be the only reason I would buy a MacBook air at this point is if I really had no choice because of budget constraints, you know, uh, the, the retina screen is really remarkable. I, maybe I give it too much credit, but if you go in a store and you look at the screens next to him and you, and you're someone who spends a lot of time at your computer, why on earth wouldn't you want four times the resolution and really sharp text and, you know, just better look on your screen. So I would seriously consider the classic one. If, if budget is a constraint uh, for an extra 300 bucks to get you in the retina screen. Um, I think the, the 12 inch MacBook, you know, the, just the plain uh, MacBook adorable, that is a special device for people who really want something to be ultra portable. That's who it's for. It's, I think who they've always marketed to, and it is super portable. And if that, if you travel a lot or, you know, if you're going back and forth to class every day and you don't need super power, that's a device to look into. And, but to me, the default, the starting point at this point is, is probably the 13 inch, uh, the $1499 for, you know, $1,500. 13 inch MacBook Pro with the touch bar and a touch ID. And I know that's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it starts at $1,800 now. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. It's not $1,500. It's $1,800. But I would start there and I would be willing to go down if, you know, if budget is an issue. But if I could afford it, I think that's where I would start. I mean, it all comes down to money, right? Uh, overall, it seems like the prices have gone up quite a bit for all of this stuff. And you keep, and I understand that. And I understand that we're doing a podcast for Mac Power users who are probably going to have no problem plopping down, you know, two thousand dollars or more for. Well, not everybody. When I was in college, there's no way I could have bought. You know, I was talking about how much I love that Power Book. I didn't own one. You know? But you know, I was just, I was just talking to a friend of mine um, who really wants to get a Mac. She's had PCs forever. She wants to get a Mac. This is a professional. She's, she certainly could afford it. And she wants a Mac and she, she, I pulled out my MacBook Air the other day and was doing some work at her desk. And she said, oh, you have the computer I want. It's so cute. And she hugged my MacBook Air. And I was going to say to her, well, this will be available very soon if you'd like to buy it. But uh, in fact, I might because that might work out for her. But she went online and she priced them. And, you know, she just was still shocked at at the price difference between, you know, what the third, what the max cost and what the others cost. And I think she was at that point looking at the, the 13 inch MacBook pro, cause she really didn't understand the difference between the air and the pro and, and those types of things. But price is still a big factor for a lot of people. If you're sending your kid off to college with one of these, or, you know, if, if you're buying one of these just to kind of be your, your casual laptop and you're, you're not buying it for a specific purpose that you have to have the latest and greatest for, I think it can be hard to plop down, you know, $2,000 because, you know, keep in mind that you're going to be plopping down another couple hundred dollars probably and making all your stuff work with it too. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm sitting here trying to figure out is I don't know what I'm, you know, not only am I plopping down, um, you know, almost $2,500 for this computer and Apple care, but I've got another couple hundred dollars in dongles and I have no idea what I'm going to do about the monitor. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm going to end up buying that $1,200, $1,300 LG monitor, but I don't know what I'm going to do until December because I'm going to have that machine for probably a month and a half to two months before that monitor starts shipping. 
And I can't think of any way to get that current, the the new MacBook Pro to talk to my um, my mini display port, Apple Cinema Display. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an adapter for that. But uh, just to get back to the original point, um, when we started the conversation, we were talking about your mom is using a 17-inch MacBook Pro that is probably at least six years old now. Yeah, we we put an SSD and up the RAM in it for her. So she's she's got a nice machine. But my that's my point is, you know, you spend $1,500, you spend $1,800 on a MacBook, you're going to get a lot of use out of it. And, you know, I mean, I, you, everybody listening to the show has got the stories where they've had a friend that bought a, and they spent, you know, 400 or $500 less getting a PC. And then a year and a half later, it was, a, you know, it was in the trash because it just, you know, gave up on them. I, I feel like, um, I think, I, I don't, I, I feel like it's worth paying a little extra for Apple's hardware because they do it better. Um, but these are more expensive and it is a concern for people. Uh, if, if budget isn't your primary driver, I still believe that the starting point with these things is the, um, the 13 inch MacBook pro. It's going to give you the most flexibility. It's a brand new machine. It's going to be good for a long time. I think that the touch bar and the touch ID stuff is going to be really useful to people. So if you can swing it, even if it means wait another three or four months to save some extra money to, to pay for the extra one, that's what I would recommend. Because they probably won't be updated for a while. Yeah. And if you if you need something ultra light, you're going to be very happy with a 12 inch MacBook. I mean, they've they've revved it since I bought mine. Um, so they're a little faster than they used to be. And um, there's lots of people that love them, but it, it is a very custom device for a very custom use. Uh, I would not recommend getting a MacBook Air unless budget was the primary driver for you. I mean, there was a time when I was in school where the MacBook Air was probably the only Mac I could afford. So that's the one I would buy. And if I was back there right now, I'd do the same thing. But if you can figure out a way to swing getting a little better one, um, I think you're going to be well served because, you know, the new processors, new systems, new manufacturing, better screens, all that stuff is better. And it's not out of the reach you know you can still get that if you spend a little extra so here i am spending your money again <laughs> uh, yeah I, and this is the last i'll mention this but i guess i just don't understand this new apple where we have multiple versions and multiple price points and and multiple lines of even the same product i mean we're now doing this again we've got the macbook air that they just they haven't killed they're going to keep it around. Okay. We've got the MacBook and we've got a 12 inch version of that. And then we've got three different MacBook Pros. We've got the 13 inch light. We've got the 13 inch and then we've got the 15 inch. And then compare that with the, we've got the iPad Air and then we've got the iPad mini and we've got the iPad Pro. I, I just don't understand the splitting up the line. I think it would have been a lot cleaner and made a little more sense if you just let the air die or, you know, stick it in a corner on the website, kind of like they did with the um, the older MacBook Pros for a long time, and, and take this low-end 13-inch 13 MacBook Pro and call it a MacBook. Really made it, you know, instead make it make a 12-inch or, you know, make a 13-inch MacBook. I think that the um, the reason is, and Steve uh, Stephen Hackett over at 512 Pixels just put up a post I'm going to link in the show notes called Mini MacBooks. And he laid them out by price and they've got starting at $999 up to $2,800. And no matter what your budget is, they've got something for you. And, you know, we were talking earlier about your friend who just wants to get into a Mac. And if you tell her the starting point for a 13 inch is, um, 
is for the new 13 inches, $1,500. And it's the one that Katie doesn't want to recommend. So the real starting point is $1,800. Or they've got one that doesn't have the fancy screen you can get for a thousand bucks. That's that's the computer for her. And Apple wants to take care of those people as well as they do with the people that, you know, are listening to the show and want to get, you know, the latest and greatest. Or, you know, the person sending the kid to college that has a history of breaking things. You're like, okay, I'll spend a thousand dollars to get you a computer, but I'm not going to spend eighteen hundred. So they want to serve those people as well. And and if they if they just killed the MacBook Air, the news line would be, you know, Apple hates, you know, the little people and Apple is not willing to, you know, I, I, I can just hear, I could write the story, you know, so I know why they did it. And I think as soon as they can figure out a way to economically get the prices down on some of these others, like the, the MacBook adorable, that the MacBook Air will go away, but it's just going to take a few more years. I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, the Omni Group, and I'll talk a little bit about Omni Graffle. They just came out with version seven of Omni Graffle, and it is amazing. Some of the things that Omni Group has done, they are always on the cutting edge. So Omni Graffle is a tool that you can use for creating precise, beautiful graphics. This can be anything from website wireframes, diagrams of houses or electrical systems. I use it quite a bit for creating family trees in my law practice when I'm trying to show people, you know, how things are going to be dispersed in their estate plan. You can also use it for creating maps, diagrams, anything like that. Everyone from professional artists to designers to casual people just like me can quickly use OmniGraffle to put together something exceptional that looks like you had the entire graphics department behind you. It's really easy to get started and OmniGraffle has plenty of power when you need it. It's got a friendly and robust interface that integrates nicely with the Mac. And of course, they've got iOS versions as well. There are a lot of new features in OmniGraffle version 7, including some like Infinite Canvas, which means that you never have to worry about adding an additional sheet of paper. You can just toggle in in one direction or another and the canvas will grow. They've got support for SVG. They've got artboard layers. You can now convert individual line drawings to shapes or text to shapes. So you can go in and do things like tweak all of your characters that you've typed out and give them that extra special custom look. But what's really amazing about OmniGraffle is OmniGroup has yet again revolutionized the way that you can buy software. So for the first time ever, they've got a free 14-day trial of their app available in the Mac App Store. How did they do it? because they're the Omni Group, and that's how they figure these things out. So what they did is the app is absolutely free to download in the Mac App Store. And when you first run the app, you'll be asked whether you'd like to start a trial or purchase a license. And because that original download is free, the Omni Group can implement any pricing options that they want, which means they can offer standard unlocks of Standard and Pro, but they can also offer this two-week free trial, which unlocks all of the features of Standard and Pro, letting you choose what you want. And cleverly, they can also offer discounted purchases for people who have previous versions or maybe who have recently bought the app. So Omni has finally found a way to make the Mac App Store usable for buying professional-grade software. Of course, you can still get the software available from their website as well, and there's also a two-week free trial there. So get started to try OmniGraffle today. Head over to the omnigroup.com or go check it out in the Mac App Store. And thanks to Omni for their continued support of Mac Power users. All right, Katie Floyd, enough talk about money. Actually, let's talk about your money. What are you going to buy? I've spent it. I have spent the money. Um, I, you were taking too long and blathering on, so I just hit the buy button. <laughs> okay. So what'd you buy? I bought the higher, the highest of the high ends, uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro. Um, I then went in and maxed it out. I And I tend to do this. This is kind of my MO. I went in and I upgraded the processor. So I have a 3.3 gigahertz dual core Intel i7 processor, Turbo Boost. 
up to 3.6 gigahertz. That's one I don't necessarily do. Well, it, I think there there's some there's some distinct differences between the i5 and the i7 um, and some of the things that, that it can do, especially if you're doing any kind of video processing or, or those types of things. So I, I, I wanted to have the breathing room of the i7 and it didn't add, that was actually the least expensive of all the upgrades. Yes, that, that adds 300 bucks. You upped the RAM, right? Of course I upped the RAM. Um, and I, I went, I maxed it out at 16. And then I did keep the memory at 512. Uh, the reason I did that is my, my MacBooks for pros or my MacBook Airs for years have been 256. And I'm still running somewhere between 70 and 100 gigs free on those. Um, so I figured 512 more than doubles that and gives me breathing room. You know what the weird part is? In six months, you'll still be about, you'll have like 60 gigabytes free. I don't understand how it works, but it just expands to to fill the necessary space. Yeah, it happens. Um, and I, I did pick up Apple Care for it. I, I really questioned that because, however, I do recall that my my last MacBook Air got replaced because of Apple Care. And so I'm like, you know what? For that alone, this is a first generation product. It's new technology. I'm going to go ahead and pick up Apple Care. Yeah, I, I totally agree with it. It's a brand new design. There may be something wrong and uh, might as well have the three years warranty instead of one year. Yeah. Um, had the the LG 5K display been available for purchase, I would have gone ahead and bought that, but it was not. Um, it wasn't even available for pre-order. So I'm sure watching the rumor sites and those things, I'll I'll know when it's available. But it says it's available in December, so I assume that sometime in December I'll be able to come in and and purchase that. But that's that's what I plan to do. Um, as we've been thinking, about, and I still need to buy some dongles. Um, I, I've I've been thinking about my dilemma, and I've posted on Twitter. Uh, people are saying that it it looks a lot that that there's no way to get Mini DisplayPort to USB three. So. If our if our listeners know otherwise, let me know. What I think I may end up doing um, is I have a, a display that is capable of supporting HDMI at the office. So what I may end up doing is I may end up taking this mini DisplayPort cinema display to the office. And although that office display is not as good of a display as this, at least for the short term, bringing that to the house and swapping those out. Well, there are a lot of good quality USB-C hubs available. You know, head over to Wirecutter or some of these other sites that have some recommendations. Uh, you're going to ultimately find you need whatever you need. What you're going to hate is the next time you give a presentation because the Apple adapter is something like $80 to get you into a projector from USB-C. I think there's some third-party ones. I think it's 69 and I think the problem is you need both of them. Because one has HDMI and one has VGA. And unfortunately, I still give presentations at places that have VGA adapters. I've been giving all my presentations off the iPad for the last eight months and no problem. So you may want to think about doing that. The, uh, but there are I, I know there's some third parties making them now. you got to find the reputable ones, and that's not always easy. But they're out there. Maybe we'll, we'll follow up on that in a future live show. Um, but the, uh, I, I, it sounds like a really good machine. You're going to have it for a long time. Yeah. So that's, that's what I've got. And, you know, my plan is I tend to keep it until maybe a month or two before Apple Care runs out. And so that if I sell it to someone, I can sell it and still say, hey, it's got, you know, a month of Apple Care. It's got two months of Apple Care. And if anything happens, there you go. And, you know, I'll keep this machine almost three years, probably. I've, I've had my MacBook Air for four. Yeah. I used to do that. Um, but the, uh, it, with my kids and stuff, things get recycled down quite often. And, uh, like I was just looking at my daughter, 
Well, I'll talk to you about my thoughts in a minute, but we have some very old MacBook Airs around here that are still working fine. Um, interestingly, uh, well, is there anything that you wanted that you didn't get with this new MacBook? Well, you know, like I said, I would have liked to have at least one or two legacy USB ports on there. So that's something that I would have liked to see that I didn't get. Um, I would have liked to have seen the display available immediately. And I would have liked to have seen it have been at the $1,000 or less price point. I think 1200 is a little, 1300 really is a little more than I wanted to spend. Um, and I may look at some, some third party options for displays between now and then that's kind of, it's kind of the problem that Apple runs with, but with it not being available and shipping to December is there'll be a dozen articles on the wire cutter and in other places, by the way, we should say congratulations to the wire cutter for, um, being purchased by the New York Times, but there'll be a dozen articles on the wire cutter and other places about reviewing that display before they've even seen it and, um, and other options for displays. So you never know. I may end up not buying that display. I may, I may end up finding something else between now and then. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, as an alternative to going down this road, the, the, the direction I've ended up going is, uh, because of the way my life works, I'm able to get by remotely with an iPad and I have a really, you know, kick butt iMac. And, you know, when I bought it, uh, I think I spent about $1,800 on it. And it's a, it's a 5K, um, 5K display. It's a gorgeous display. Um, now I was just looking. You can get like, you can get one with two terabytes SSD for 2300 which is about probably what you ended up paying for your laptop. Um, although I don't know that's all SSD, so I have to check out further. But anyway, the... Um, uh, I, I'm not that interested in these laptops, you know, because, you know, I've figured out a system for me where I, I've kind of switched to a single Mac as an iMac and then iPad on the road. And uh, for the type of work I do, that's not true for everyone. It works fine. I, I do miss it sometimes. Like I used to have a MacBook Pro and like uh, doing iBooks author stuff. I'm working on another book right now and I can't work on that remotely. Um, I can't edit screencasts, you know, on the road. But giving up the ability to do certain functions um, is more than made up for just kind of the sim simplicity of just having this nice, easy device that's connected to the Internet and does the other stuff that I need to do very easily. So I, I'm not interested, but I'm I'm curious. So Katie's going to be our official correspondent of the touch bar. She's going to be reporting in on it, how it works. And I can definitely see myself in a few years, David, you know, the way that my current setup is I have a Mac mini at the office. And the reason I do that is just because, you know, I had it. Um, I can see myself maybe three years from now when I'm looking at a different upgrade, taking this MacBook Pro, which will probably still have a good bit of life left into it because these Apple products are, you know, as you know, you, you can keep these machines and keep them running easily, if, you know, assuming you don't have a piece wear out, you know, for five, six, even seven, eight years. Um, I can see myself taking this laptop to the office and replacing that Mac mini and then moving to an iMac at home. Um, I'm still at the point where I need a laptop. I, I still take the laptop occasionally to work and do things like that or uh, to court. I, I, I'm not all iOS like, like you are yet, but I, I can see myself in a couple of years not having a laptop at home. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was talking to my wife. I said, I think I don't who knows. I'm not going to say this, but I mean, it, I think that I may have bought my last laptop. I mean, who knows? Right. I, there's a huge asterisk next to that. You know, Jason Snell was saying the same thing on Upgrade maybe last week. week oh, before. See, yeah, yeah I, I just don't know that I need one. And 
And the, you know, the iPads are only going to get going to get more powerful. The software is only going to get better. I mean, there's certain things like, like, where are the points that my real sticky points? Like the one that stands out for me is whenever I go on the road and you and I podcast together. Um, that's a problem because the iPad really doesn't support it. Um, uh, last year, I brought my little uh, lap, laptop with me, my little MacBook, and just to plug in a USB mic and be able to record Mac power users. Um, next year we have, I gave my MacBook to my daughter cause she had, I think it was the very first or the second generation 11 inch MacBook air, maybe in the second generation one, it, it was, a, it's an old computer. Um, and she's, you know, so I, she was having trouble with that computer, keeping up with all the stuff she was doing for school. So I gave her the laptop I wasn't really using anymore. And now we have that extra 11 inch and I could take that with me. I could set it up for podcasting as a basic rig. But I'm more inclined because I've got a, a Zoom recorder to to figure out a way, and that'll you know record directly to SD card, and it's got a and I can attach a mic to it. So I may just bring that and use that as the uh, the recording devices instead of the Mac itself. And I could just talk to you on Skype, and that wouldn't off the iPad, and that would work. So I'm kind of starting to come up with ideas. We know that Apple has, or we have a strong suspicion that Apple has an update for iOS that's going to give you more power features on the iPad, which may include audio, you know, double um, channel stuff. So, um, so I'm not that all that excited about it, but I would, I would like to see a keyboard with the touch bar on it because I'm at the iMac all day. Why can't I have these features too? Right. Let's talk about desktop Macs because that really didn't get much attention today. In fact, it got zero attention. What do you think about that? Oh, I do have a bit of breaking news. Let me, before we close out the show, Apple did release a Thunderbolt 3, which is USB-C to a Thunderbolt 2 adapter. I'm thinking, of course, it's another 50 bucks. Here's, here's another $50 dongle in your life. Um, Don't think about it. Just write the check. Just just buy it. <laughs> Potentially, I could use this dongle because I have I have one of these uh, these Belkin uh, original Thunderbolt hubs. And Thunderbolt 2, I think, is the same basically as, I think it's backwards compatible with Thunderbolt 1. So check my logic on this. I think I can use one of these Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2 adapters to plug my MacBook Pro into my current Belkin hub, which will support DisplayPort. Yeah, well, you just try it. I mean, they've got a return policy if it doesn't work. I, I think I think if I do that, it will pretty much support everything on my desk and keep my life running. There you go. Yay. Although... You're going to see the retina screen on your laptop and then you're going to look at the other display and it's going to make you angry. Well, that's that's only till December because we've already established that in December I'm going to buy the retina display. But this this keeps me from moving a bunch of stuff around. I didn't draw the line earlier, but the, the retina display that you're looking at is not that much less expensive than a brand new iMac. Gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's it really isn't, you know, Um. Uh, although I don't think you could use a brand new iMac as a target mode for your laptop, you know, because you used to be able to do stuff like that. I, I just, I, I don't see, it, it seems ridiculous to me to buy a, a retina MacBook pro and not have my main screen that I look at when I'm open up and clam, you know, open up at the, at the home, not be retina. And it sounds like I'll be running that way for a couple of months until this new display comes out. But you know, these things happen. So, so depending on how you can do it, if you can run with an iPad plus an iMac, you're looking at probably by the time you're all in about three grand, you know, a couple grand for the, um, for the iMac and a thousand dollars for a souped up iPad pro. 
if you're looking at the um, the MacBook Pro plus the fancy monitor setup, uh, you're looking, I guess, probably a little about thirty five hundred bucks by the time you're done. So you're in the ballpark, but then you don't even have an iPad Pro at that point. So if you want one of those, boy, Apple's no wonder they have so much money in the bank. They're really good at this. Uh, but what they didn't talk about today was desktops. And uh, the, so everybody's upset about that. You know, we didn't get a new uh, uh, Mac Pro, which is crazy. What is it? Something now it's over a thousand days old, the existing Mac Pro. Yep. Uh, they're selling it for the same price, but it's got like three year old hardware in it. I mean, who on earth would buy that? Or, you know. What about the poor people that don't know, don't know any better? And they go in and, and plunk down that kind of money. The uh, the Mac Mini didn't get any love, which doesn't surprise anybody. In fact, I don't think anybody's even really talking about it. Um, the iMac did not get an update either, but the iMac got an update last year. And I could totally see them, once they sort things out, doing an update to the iMac line where they just bump the processor specs and just, you know, do a press release and say, okay, there's a new iMac now. Um uh, of those three, the, the one that concerns me the least is the iMac. I think it's relatively new. If someone asked me if they should buy an iMac now, I'd say that's fine if that's what you want. I wouldn't tell you not to buy an iMac, but the uh, the Mac Pro, I would definitely counsel against it. Um, did you see anything about the Microsoft Surface Studio desktop computer? I saw that it was released, and I saw that a lot of people were excited about it and I think Tim Cook's looking at it as about a my super jumbo iPad. Yeah, it's I think it's this is worth checking out Mac power users. Uh Microsoft has done something kind of innovative and uh they've made I, I heard that they before it got announced someone told me that yeah, it's going to be an iMac clone. I'm like, "Okay, well, it's about time." And, and it is interesting in general. I've got a post written about this from Xbox, I haven't posted yet, but just how for the longest time, Apple was the company that made everything in one box. They did the hardware and the software, and that's the reason why so many of us love Macs. It's interesting to me that both Google and Microsoft are doing that now, too. Google's making their own phone to run their own operating system. Microsoft is increasingly making computers to run their operating system. And they did something innovative. They made this thing called the Surface Studio Desktop. And I recommend going and check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's a iMac on a hinge. And so... It sits up like an iMac, but then you can pull it down and it's at a 20 degree angle on your desk and it's a touch sensitive surface. So it's almost like a drafting table iMac. And I think that's really fascinating. I'm not sure it could ever really work for the Mac operating system because Apple, Apple's position is, look, if you're going to use a computer, you want a computer operating system with small touch targets for mice and trackpads. And if you're going to use an uh, a touch sensitive, it's a completely different operating system. Uh, but they're doing something interesting, and I like that, and I'm going to be following that. Who knows how well they're going to execute on it, but the next time I'm near a Microsoft store, I'm going to go in and check it out. Um, so that's all I really have to say about that, but it's it's kind of interesting to see what's going on in the industry. I wish that Apple had announced new iMacs and, and Mac Pros and Mac Minis today. It feels like they should have, but I also know that there's kind of they're in the middle of upgrades with the Intel processors, and maybe it just didn't make sense. How about the AirPods? Um, oh, oh, that hurt. Yeah, I was ready to. That's what I was ready to buy today. I was going to buy myself some AirPods. Um, yeah, and we should mention what we're talking about. The uh, Apple AirPods were supposed to be out by the end of October. And Apple has quietly announced by basically releasing it to a uh, media company. I, I think was TechCrunch the one that they. Yeah, I think it was TechCrunch. Yeah. That uh, they need a little more time to cook and they'll be out later, but did not give a date. 
Yep. So uh, hopefully soon Christmas is coming. <laughs> that seems like a really good present. It, it would be, you know, I probably was not going to buy AirPods, but I was going to put them on my Christmas list because I think these are things that would make great Christmas gifts. You know, my family's kind of always looking for things in that range to to pick up for me. So, yeah, I would have I would have put these on my Christmas list. Apple really needs to get these out by Christmas. I um I got to use some. Uh, a friend of mine uh, has a press review pair. So um, I was allowed to to play with them for a while. And I was, I put them in my ears. I was jumping up and down, shaking my head like crazy man. And they never were falling out. They sounded great. They paired really well. Uh, I absolutely have a place in my life for these AirPods. I am more impressed with them after having used them than I was when I first heard about them. So uh, I'll report in on that as soon as I can. Um, all right. Uh, so final thoughts. A uh, couple things. You want to go first? Well, I have two things that I thought were interesting. Um, number one, I went to go buy my uh, computer and I, I went on on the Apple store online on, on my Mac and Apple Pay was not available. Is that not weird? Yeah, that's weird. So shame on Apple for not having Apple Pay available through their Apple store. I saw in a screenshot somewhere that it was coming. We're in Sierra. It's supposed to be here. Yeah. And uh, I have just added $137 worth of dongles to my cart. Oh, good for you. <laughs> did you buy it? Did you buy it through Safari or did you do it through Chrome? No, I bought it through Safari. Okay. I'm just checking. I know that you've, you've you have uh, played in the other sandbox over the years. I, I kept looking and looking and looking for the Apple pay button and mm, no dice. Couldn't find it. Okay. A couple things for me. Uh, it was nice to see uh, a lot of women presenters today. Um, I'm, it's uh, Apple's trying to get more diverse. I think that's good. Um, uh, it was interesting to see Town Hall, I think, probably for the last time. You know, they're getting ready to open the new campus. So um, it's good. You know, I guess we got to see it. It was kind of all business. They got the thing done. And then you had mentioned earlier in the show, uh, when I first saw the name Hello Again, um, it kind of pushed a few of my buttons because I remember the original announcement and I remember the iMac announcement. So Apple has used this Hello and the Hello Again thing very sparingly over the years. Well, they've used it once. They used it Hello and then Hello Again. So they've used hello versions of hello twice. Um, and uh, I'm thinking, wow, that was kind of bold. And then uh, John Syracuse actually verbalized this uh, this week on the uh, Accidental Tech podcast saying, you know, that's kind of special to him. I hope they live up to it. Um, as an old time Apple user, I don't really feel like they did. I mean, the addition of the touch bar is great, but it doesn't feel to me like they've reinvented the wheel or made the computer that's going to save the company like the iMac was. Uh, but, you know. I don't think a lot of people really care that much. I thought it was in poor taste. So you, you're even more negative about it than I am. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I mean, I'm not. I mean, there there are probably, you know, less than a couple hundred people in the world who made that connection. So. Oh, no, I think there's more than that. Maybe a couple thousand. But it, this will be forgotten by tomorrow. But I thought it was poor taste. All right. Well, that, there it goes, gang. Uh, we were able to talk to you about New Max. Katie was able to spend a boatload of money. And we got that done in an hour and a half or a little bit more. Have, have we mentioned the Relay member program? <laughs> no, just. Uh, I think appropriately, we should thank our sponsors. <laughs> One Password Fracture and Omni Group. Um, if you want to reach out and tell us what you think about these new MacBooks, let us know on Twitter. We are at Mac Power Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I am at Max Sparky. You can also send us email to um, uh, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And we will see you all next week.